All right. Praise God. So, amen. Let's jump right into the Word. I'm so, I'm excited uh, today about uh, this series that we're going to do. Uh, my hope is that this will spark something in your own lives, uh, in our community. And I'm praying that, especially for our young people, I'm praying that it gives them something to hold on to, to chew on uh, through the weeks. So as we proceed, this is going to be a several weeks long uh, series. And so um, I'm excited about uh, the, the process that we'll be going through and the challenges that will go forth uh, for, for that. So I believe that's going to be important uh, in our con- the content that we'll be sharing. Uh, be vital as we continue to be on mission uh, for Jesus. Um, so, you know, s- uh, legacy. Um, you know, this yesterday uh, was a very powerful moment. We had the youth come down um, in, in our community and those from Mission House. We had youth from, our, uh, from Mission House and also from the larger community participate as we continue to uh, develop this documentary for the Shoe for Memorial School. Um, we have our mentors. If we have mentors here, please stand up. All right? Got mentors? We got Ash, Danny, anyone else? Tony's in the back. Myra, Myra's in the back. So thank y'all for coming out. We had the youth that participated yesterday in the uh, in the documentary work. Y'all can stand up. Go ahead. Yeah, filmmakers, future filmmakers. There, look at them. Right, Amen. <laughs> Amen. So you know, so we want to be a church where people can begin to have that conversation around what does it mean to build a powerful legacy? Amen. Um, even beyond this church in your own lives, right? As you grow older and your parents send you out into the world, amen, uh, <laughs> and uh, you begin to make choices and you begin to consider, what will I be known for? And, you know, I want to start off with a phrase, I will be known for. This is going to be a, 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 re, a repeating mantra, I hope, for you uh, for the next several weeks. If you could repeat it after me, just turn to your neighbor and say, I will be known for. I will be known for. Don't say it yet. <laughs> right? I will be known for. And there's something to think about. And so your answer to that blank says a lot about where you are right now. It says a lot about the status of your life, uh, where you are in your life situation right now. The season of your life will determine how you answer that blank. And if whatever it is in that blank is a destination for your life, it tells me a lot about uh, the route that you will take to get there. And so when you begin to name where you are, if you're honest about where you are and also what you want to be known for, it should guide your decisions and choices right now. And as the years have gone by, there have been different seasons where I, even myself, I thought I would be known for one thing or another. How about you? So if you can imagine our lives being this, this, this continuum, this, this, this legacy, right, this rope, right? We're going to say we all will live to be 100 years old. <laughs> You're like, well, no, statistically speaking, like some of us, you know. Amen. We just say, you know, 100 years old. Right? Some of y'all are like, I don't want to be 100 years old. 
Right. So, you know, when I began to think about I will be known for, I remember back as a kid what I wanted to be known for as a kid. Did some of y'all have this? This kind of thought when you were a child or when you were younger growing up? Or young, oh yeah, I'm sorry, the young people here, yeah, yeah. You still think about it? Okay, okay. I remember when I was seven years old, I wanted to be an astronaut. Because we start at zero, right? At seven years old, I wanted to be an astronaut. And I wanted to be known for that. And I was a weird kid. And so, you know, and I began to reflect about this, I, you know, for, reflect on this. You know, at seven years old, I, I wanted to be known to be an astronaut, so I would bug my parents, especially after my mom uh, made that faithful decision to take me to go see Star Wars. That's where it all began. And so I remember when she took me to see Star Wars, and I remember thinking to myself, I want to fly an X-Wing fighter. I want to be an astronaut. And so uh, I remember uh, reading everything I could about astronauts, uh, NASA, the space program as a kid, and then uh, I began to pick up things. So at nine, I figured out quickly that um, you had to be a jet pilot to be an astronaut. So I drove my parents crazy again, and so I would have them order these thick books about jet planes. And so I literally could tell you everything about jet planes, like the, F, the F-15 Eagle or the F-14 Tomcat. They, they recently decommissioned it some years ago. And I could tell you the mock speed and the top speed and the kind of fuel specifications that it had and the size of barrels of its guns and the kind of weaponry that it had on board. And, and I know I'm nine years old. I'm looking at this stuff, right? Y'all think it's weird. But I wanted to be an astronaut. And so in order to be an astronaut, you had to be a jet pilot. So, y'all know the story of my dad, some of y'all. And this is before uh, astronaut uh, Ronald McNair came on the scene. No black man had become an astronaut before. So, I remember my dad dashed my dreams. It says, ain't no Negro going to be an astronaut. And so, I had to come up with something else, you know. And so, I began to be interested in music. And so at 12 years old, I wanted to be known to be a jazz saxophonist. And so I remember, I don't know what came over me, but I remember my mom had a wooden recorder. Y'all know recorders, right? Yeah, I know. I think y'all forced to play those now in school, right? Everybody has to have a recorder, right? You don't have a choice? Okay. And so I remember my mom had this beautiful brown, like, it was like a professional recorder. You know what I'm talking about a recorder, right? It's like a straight flute. You blow through the front, front end. Everybody, I just want to make sure everybody knows what a recorder is, okay? And so my mom would hide her in her closet. So what I would do is sneak into her room. You know, kids do that, right? They sneak into your room even though you tell them not to. They go through your stuff, right? And so I would go through the stuff, and I would go downstairs, and, and some, something came over me because one of the things my mom did when I was a kid, and, well, yeah, my mom, my dad didn't do this, but my mom did this. My mom introduced me to good music, right? Like she introduced me to John Coltrane, Cannonball Adderley, uh, uh, King Curtis, and 
These are saxophonists. These are popular saxophonists, right? This is before Kenny G, right? Everybody love Kenny G, right? Or they learned Kurt Whalum, you know, the new, the new, vos, the new school, right? Uh, and so I love the old school. Now, even to this day, I can't even listen to new jazz because it sounds too synthesized, right? I like to hear the horns and the, the people clunking their feet on the drums and all. I like the, the classic stuff. And so I had this idea. So I'll be downstairs listening to the record. This is when they had vinyl. Right. And so I would put on some King Curtis. And that, that was the first song that I listened to. This thought came to me. It was like, wow, what if I took my mom's recorder and try to play along with King Curtis? And so I would sit hours in the basement of my childhood home and I had this idea. And I would listen to John Coltrane and all that. I wanted to be a jazz saxophonist. And I would sit downstairs for hours in the den and I would try to mimic first with a recorder, and then I grew up and I realized, I, you know, a year later at 10, I was like, hey, uh, well, 13, they gave me a saxophone. I started playing in the band. And so my dream was on the way, but then my dad told me. I love my dad, right? I love my dad. He, he, he you know, he, he was old school, man. Ain't no Negro. Go make money playing the saxophone. But I'm like, Dad, John Coltrane, Cannonball Adderley. You know, but, you know, he was in a different mindset then. And so anyway, I played band throughout high school. I was, you know, I was known as a, as a good saxophonist in high school, well, middle school and, and, and high school. I played in the jazz band. I played in the symphony. I played in the, in the, uh, in the marching band. I was first chair in, uh, in the symphony. And so even after that, I played a little bit after that. And so one of these days, you know, the worship team may convince me to pick up the saxophone and start playing. That would be cool, right? Dust it off a little bit there. And so, uh, so when I graduated high school, I kind of put the saxophone down and I joined the Navy. And so when I joined the Navy, it was a whole new reality, a whole new world for me. And that, that was a different kind of experience. And it opened my eyes to different possibilities. I began to see different parts of the world. And so I remember uh, when I was in the Navy, I wanted to be at 18, I wanted to be a naval submarine officer. And so I remember uh, playing off at Canada School and, and just how, and there wasn't a whole lot of African Americans that were naval officers on submarines. I was on a base of like 10 submarines, and there were like two African American officers out of crews of 300 people each submarine. I was like, man, I want to be like that. I want to be known as the, the few and the proud, right? I know that's the Army, right? But they had a really good slogan, but it was for the wrong branch of service. It should have been for the Navy. Oh, that's the Marines? Oh, okay. Uh, there's a joke about the Marines. Oh, I ain't going to ask the Marines. You know, Marines Navy, we got this thing, right? We got this thing with us. Marines always riding in Navy equipment. Uh, never mind. So I'm just messing with you. And so I wanted to be a submarine officer. I joined the Navy and did that. I was captured by uh, the adventure of that submarine life. And I was about to go to Officer Canada School, and I got asthma out to sea. And so they tried to stick me on a surface ship, and I was like, no, I'm not going on an, air, I'm not going on an aircraft carrier. No. I said, let's let me out because my dream was to be that. I wanted to be known for that. And then I became a Christian shortly after that. Uh, and then... Um, and this is when, um, and I was one of those crazy Christians. I was one of them ones that got saved and had zeal without knowledge. 
and, you know, was just really on fire. And I had this crazy idea. I had begun when I first became a Christian, and I was really on fire for God. And um, I began to read the life of the Apostle Paul. And so I began to imagine myself being like the Apostle Paul. So at age 21, I want to be a global apostle. I wanted to be like Paul, travel all over the world and spread the gospel and uh, leading radical Christian movements of the kingdom of God. And so as I've gotten older now, my, my thoughts have shifted. I will be known for, in my mind, to be a problematizer. To make it hard for you to stay in status quo Christianity. To become a thorn in the side of that. To become the Achilles heel of that. To, 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 to mess with it, right? To, to get people to think of following Jesus in a different way that actually makes, that is meaningful and that matters and makes an impact and transformation in the world. That the church is not called to be a praise and worship concert and a holy huddle. My job is to make it difficult for people to continue in that vein. My job, I want to be known to be a problematizer. I also want to be known to be peaceful. Amen. Nonviolent. I, want, I will be known for passion. And I will be known to, for, to mobilize world-changing leadership. I want to be known, and I, I always said to myself, I will be known for to equip uh, people to be mobilized into their own gifts and their own passions and also to be innovative, to do something different that hasn't been done before, to build upon the old foundations, to create innovative ways to do ministry. That's my hope, to impact the world. If we're all honest, we would probably say that all we want to be known for, for something that matters. If we're to be honest, we would say, I want to be known for something that matters, that it brings significance in the world, something that, um, and you know, one of the things about uh, this is that no one really sets out to be mediocre. Right? I love that word mediocre, right? It's an interesting word, right? It literally is it's uh, an old English word. It literally means halfway up the hill, mediocre, halfway up the hill. Like you come up the hill, but you don't go all the way up. You go halfway. And so I don't think the average person, I don't think they want to be known as average, right? If you ask somebody, say, hey, you go to your workplace, and you say, hey, do you want to be an average this? Right? If you go, go visit somebody at, at their home, you see a mom or a dad playing with their kids or doing something in the living room, and you kind of like, corner them somewhere, and you say, hey, do y'all want to be average parents? Or, you know, or at work, where I work now, there's some people that would say, yes, uh, I, I want to be average, right? You know, you got some people, <laughs> they always want to buck the system, right? They want to be rebels. They say, yeah, I want to be average, right? Average is the new radical. And so, no. <laughs> but if we're honest, we would want to do that, we would probably all say that we want to be someone that makes a difference, someone that leaves a legacy. Legacy. Legacy is something that comes from someone in the past and affects 
current and future generations. It is something that comes from someone in the past that affects current and future generations. According to the definition, legacy is something that, we'll, that we will all leave. Our choices, when we think about the choices that we make, even young people today, and I'm hoping that I'm speaking to you today, and you know, some of us older heads too, right? Uh, I'm, I'm speaking to you as well, but the thing, is about, the, the thing about legacy, the question is not whether or not we will leave a legacy. The question is really what kind of legacy will we live, leave, rather? What kind of legacy will we leave behind? And the thing about legacy is that legacies are based upon the choices that we make. This morning, I'm going to continue using this, this, uh, this rope illustration. We see there's a clear beginning and end to our lives. Imagine with me the span of our life is described by this rope. Just imagine we live to be 100 years old, clearly while starting at zero. There are decisions throughout your life that mark us. Age 13. You may have gotten to a bad habit of lying to everybody, <laughs> lying to your parents. Age 15, maybe you got into a lot of fights in school. Age 16, you start hanging out with a, a different kind of crowd, and they start drinking. You know, one of the things that's interesting, uh, I've been watching uh, this series, uh, 13 Reasons Why, and uh, a lot of kids, young people are watching this series, and it's a very powerful series because it dramatizes um, uh, the, 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 the life of young people uh, in our culture in a very powerful way, and it grapples with the reality of suicide in people's lives. And so a lot of Christians and church people are, saying, are trying to ban it, whatever, but one of the things I'm telling people is if your kids are watching it, watch, if, they, if they're going to watch it anyway, here's the thing, they're watching it. And so my thing is the folks is, man, parents, watch it with your kids. Process it. But one of the things about that is, is that there's a lot of there's drug use, there's alcohol. Even when we, when I was a kid, that stuff kind of happened, right? I remember, uh, well, we got kids here, so I ain't going to say too much. And so, uh, well, I'll just say it, right? When I was around this age, I did the same thing. I drank. But now, stuff is off the chain. It's off the chain right now. And so, uh, so I want you to know, so at 17, you told your parents you were going to be one place and you ended up at another doing things you shouldn't have been doing. This happens. But I want you to consider, though, and the thing is, these things happen, but the, the, the thing is, when you choose to do that and it becomes a re repeated pattern in your life, it could lead to negative things. When you repeatedly do something, it becomes a habit. And habits become hard to break. And at 19, you met him or her. Who? Ha-ha! <laughs> 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 <Ha -ha. laughs> 
Yeah, you thought I had messed up, didn't you? And at 20, maybe you got into a party scene and messed around with drugs and alcohol at age 20. Age 25, your first marriage, things just didn't work out between you and him or her. I got married when I was 19 years old, my first marriage, because we had a son on the way. And I grew up in those times still. It's not like this today. If you got a girl pregnant, you married her, right? I mean, that was, that was the expectation. My, I remember I called my dad, and, uh, and it was funny because he found out on the street that I actually had a child in a way. And his first question was not, do you love her? Do you, what do you, you know, what's that all about? And his first question, you going to marry her? I'm like. <laughs> and I remember going to my first wife's, uh, Deborah's, you all know Deborah, Deborah Abraham, Israel, and Isaiah, their mom. And I remember going to her, uh, I had to go to, break the news to their first mom's dad that she was pregnant because she wasn't going to tell him. <laughs> she wanted me to tell him, and I was scared of him because I was in the Navy at the time, and he had a, he had a lot of power on the base. So he was a very respected and feared uh, a naval person, and so he was the chief. And so I remember I, had to, I wanted to play basketball when I never played basketball with the fellas, right, because I was a nerd. And so, um, so I went down there trying to play basketball with them, and he looked at me. He knew I was dating his daughter. He looked at me. He was like, man, why are you out here? Uh, well, and see, back time, I was young, so I didn't understand diplomacy. I got your daughter pregnant. And this is in the middle of the basketball court, right? I couldn't pick a better time. And uh, I want to marry her. He looked at me. He just went to do a layup. He just kept on playing. He just ignored me. And so that was funny. So uh, I think back at it back then. But anyway, but, you know, this, this is sort of a hypothetical, though. Like, this is kind of like, kind of like a generality kind of thing. So our first marriage, just things didn't work out between uh, you and him or her. And so uh, at age 30, uh, maybe the habits you had in college kept or growing up in school or high school or you in the military, you just started working and these things kept following you, whether they are drugs, alcohol, just hanging around the wrong people, whatever. And, you know, maybe I'm not talking to anybody in here today. Age 35. Maybe you do find work. Maybe you want to folks that engage in business. You cut corners. You do shady stuff. You rip people off. You promise one thing, but don't do it. You steal money from people. Right? Age 40, the 13 years old liar turned into a 40-year-old manipulator. Yeah, you're getting too old for that, ain't you? Yeah, yeah. 45, life becomes centered around, you know, especially us fellas and, and you know, women, you know, I, 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 and one of the things I pray, you keep hearing this thing, a whole thing, this whole thing about, you know, midlife crisis, and you hear that, you know, the, the, the guy go gets a, a Porsche or something, and he just loses his mind and tries to re- think he's still a teenager or something in his early 20s, 
And, like, I'd be on the watch for that in my own self. I'd be like, man, I pray this never happens because, one, I don't want another car payment. But at age 50, it's times of selfishness. Your whole life up to this point has been built around what you want and not how it impacts other people. Age 55, more decisions that continue to happen. These are the decisions throughout our life that mark us, things that happen, and if we aren't careful, we can let them define who we are. Things that we start to believe that this is what we will be known for. What about the things that happened to us that we did not decide upon? This is the thing, right? Because the thing about legacy, the thing about choice is that sometimes our lives are marked by the decisions of other people. whether for good or for ill. And so you may have been marked by the decision of somebody who was profoundly broken or what were enslaved to addictions or cycles of violence and abuse. Those things too can mark us. This morning, if you have your Bible, we're going to turn to uh, Joshua 2. Um, Joshua's early part of the Bible is one of the first books after the Torah, the first five books, like the sixth book in the Bible. Um, this morning, we're going to be talking about a woman named Rahab. Maybe you have heard the name Rahab. Maybe you know what Rahab was known for. Anybody know what Rahab was known for? Maybe we're, me, and as we think about the story of Rahab, maybe we'll find that we're more like Rahab than we think. Joshua 2, verse 1, Joshua, Nun's son, secretly sent two men as spies from Shittim. He said, go, look over the land, especially Jericho. They set out and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab. They bedded down there. Whoa, hold up. Pastor, you're not saying that we're, you just said that we're more like Rahab than we think. And no, I'm not saying that you are a prostitute. I'm not calling anyone here a prostitute. All I'm saying is that for some of you, things are not so nice and tidy, and even myself in our lives. Maybe you didn't grow up in church, and maybe you did, because sometimes church don't guarantee that you'll make the right choices. You've got some baggage, and you're not sure if there's even an opportunity for you to even leave a great legacy. And if you were to be honest, you've got some things going on that if, if people knew about it, it might scare them. But just for a moment, let's take a little time out. For a moment, can you zoom out and take a look at your own life? If you were to create a, a timeline such as this, as you begin to think about your own life, you can zoom out and take a look at your life. Doesn't it seem like you are always living in the here and now? Right? Because if you think about it, our conscious mind is always here. Right? I don't know if y'all ever do this thought experiment. Right? I think about here, but I just said here, and it's the past, like a few seconds ago. But we're always thinking of here and now. This is the moment uh, that we're in. This happened to me. They said this to me. 
things aren't going the way I thought they would. Before you know it, you find yourself thinking that where you, where you are is where you will always be. You think that you've done what you've done is who you are. You get stuck. And that's, and that's a lie that will creep in into our lives when we think that this is as far as I'm going to go. This is all I'm going to be. This is all that my choices that I'm stuck with. Like, I'm stuck with this. I can't move beyond this because of the choices I've made. Mark Batterson, uh, an, an author, he said, we think right here, right now, but God is thinking in nations and generations. So while we're thinking right now, God comes from a perspective of when he looks at human beings, God looks beyond just us as individual human beings. When God sees us, God sees all the people that will come from us if we have children, right? If you are a mom and dad or if you have children, you have biology, children that come from you. And so when God sees you, God sees your progeny that comes after you. If you don't have progeny, if you won't have progeny, God also sees the people that, you, that will come into your sphere of influence, all the connections that you will make. All the young people or the, or, or the people in general that you will influence. And so your life represents a connection point that will impact way more people than you think. When God sees us, God sees nations and generations. He sees all the connection points. And the, there, there might be one person that's in your life right now that you are influencing I'm praying that it's positively, amen, speaking to the church today. If not, you know, you might want to think about that thing. But um, you don't know who that person is going to impact. You don't know what connections they will make. You don't know how your presence in their life will affect what kind of parent they're going to be, what kind of leader they're going to be, what kind of community person they're going to be. Church, I can, po- can I pose a question to you this morning? And here's my question. What if your life is a beautiful work of art, but you are so close to the canvas that you can't see the picture that God is painting? When we just focus on the now, when we just focus on the present moment here and now, it's like standing in front of a beautiful piece of art, work of art, and your nose is right there in the canvas, and all you can see is right in front of you. But it takes a moment when you step back from the canvas, you can begin to see the artwork. You begin to see the story unfold on canvas. What if you stood back? Step back. What if you can zoom out? Step back. And this is what this series is going to be about for the next several weeks. As a church, I started thinking that if we could zoom out and try just for a moment to set our eyes on more than just right here and right now, then wait, maybe we can have a shot at capturing the power of legacy. And if legacy is something that comes from someone in the past and affects current and future generations, don't you want to be a part of leaving a powerful legacy? Don't you want to leave something beyond that's bigger than you that you can pass on to other people? Amen. More than likely, and I'm just going to be honest, and this is not a statement of unbelief or a lack of faith, I, more than likely I am not going to die a billionaire. I know Word of Faith pastors shooting at me right now. Like, brother, do you speak in unbelief right now? Amen. I'm probably not. So 
There's something else that I have to leave behind for my children. Other than material things. And that's fine. Leave land, houses, whatever. That's good. But there's something more, there's things that are intangible that we want to leave behind. So I don't know if Rahab Rahab had a moment of zooming out or what, what, but we see that things began to change in her life. For the next few minutes, I want to give you three things that I believe are of vital importance if we are desired to leave a legacy worth talking about. And it comes straight out of Rahab's life. Joshua 2, verses 2 through 7. Someone told the king of Jericho, men from the Israelites have come here tonight to spy on the land. So the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab, send out the men who came to you, the ones who came to your house, because they have come to spy on the entire land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. Then she said, of course, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. The men left when it was time to close the gate at dark, but I don't know where the men went. Hurry, chase after them. You might catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the flax stalks that she had laid out on the roof. The men from Jericho chased after them in the direction of the Jordan, up to the fords, up to the mountains. As soon as those chasing them went out, the gate was shut behind them. And so here's the story so far. And so y'all know the story of Joshua, right? Y'all know that Joshua took over leadership of the, of the people, of the children of Israel from Moses. And so Joshua's task now was to take the children of Israel into the promised land. And so he came upon Jericho. And so they sent spies in to try to figure out because Jericho was a powerful military fortress. And so they sent in two spies to figure it out. And so what happened is they went in, as two spies went into Jericho, they found refuge in the house of Rahab, who was the prostitute. And so what happened, the king got word from his counterintelligence forces. Hey, man, he probably had the Russians hack their e- Jer- uh, Joshua's emails. Find out that Joshua had sent two spies into the land. You know I had to throw something in there. And so she hid them. And the king of Jericho was like, hey, we heard that they came by here. And Rahab lied, y'all. She was like, no. Nah, uh, they came by, but they came and they scooted on. I think they went that way. But she had him hidden on the roof. But before you get mad at her, let's remember as parents, we tell less than truths to our kids all the time. Not lies, but less than truths. I like that phrase, less than truths. Y'all know the bill man call. Right? You know how parents do. Mama, the bill man on the phone, tell him I'm not here. Or y'all go, to the, y'all go to the public pool. Y'all go to uh, Fred Evans' pool up the street. And you can't swim 30 minutes after you eat now. Your mom just want to relax by the pool. That's actually a myth, by the way. Or that looks awesome, right? You see your kid bring artwork from school. Like, they might be in kindergarten. Like, this is like Picasso. This is Michelangelo type stuff, right? And you can't even figure out what it is. <laughs> Chuck E. Cheese. Oh. 
Your kids come and say, oh, my kids, you know, I can, I can see as my kids, as my granddaughters get older, I can see them running to me, Grappy, Grappy, I want to go to Chuck E. Cheese. And hopefully I won't say this, you know, Tony won't say this. Um, she won't say this. I, I might be tempted to say this. Well, baby, Chuck E. Cheese closed on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Uh, uh, or whatever day they want to go, but you didn't want to take them. Or your kids is a sports. Man, you was like Hank Aaron today. You played great today on the field. But, you got, but they got struck out every time they went to bat. You get what I'm saying? We say less than truths, right? And so Rahab had a decision to make, and this is the first step in leaving a great legacy. This is the first step in leaving a powerful and great legacy. It is this, stepping into obedience. Step in obedience. Rahab's obedience was a response to the reputation of the God of Israel. Obedience in the right here and right now is the beginning of leaving a legacy. And as Americans who've been thoroughly Americanized into the con- a certain concept of freedom, we don't like that word obedience. It's an ancient word. And so, um, you know, I read something recently where somebody, this phrase, it says, obedience is suited for dogs, not humans. Right? And that's kind of the sentiment that we have in our culture, right? We don't want to obey except your thirst <laughs> or your desire to buy something. We obey certain things. So the question is when, whether or not we will obey anything. The question is who will we obey and how we will obey. Obedience is our faithful response to God. Now, one of the things uh, in the rest of the passage, uh, we can go to 8 through 12, if we can pull that up for me. If we can pull that up uh, for us, rather. The thing about, in this the rest of 8 through 12, right? Oh, okay, that's all it's going to fit on there. Okay, that's cool. If you can go back there, that's fine. So, uh, as she tells them, uh, you know, Rahab went, went up to them on the roof. She said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. Terror over you has overwhelmed us. And so the entire population of the land has melted down in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea in front of you when you left Egypt. We have also heard that you did to, what you did to Shahan and Og the two kings of the Amorites on the other side of the Jordan. You utterly wiped them out. Now, that's another whole conversation for another time. So let's, let's stay on the basic storyline here, right? We don't want to get into the genocide they, had to, they did in the name of God. But we heard this and our hearts turned to water because of you. People can no longer work up their courage. This is because the Lord your God is God in heaven and above and on earth below. Now I have been loyal to you. So pledge to me by the Lord that you in turn will deal loyally with my family. Give me a sign of good faith. Spare the lives of my father, mother, brothers, sisters, along with everything they own. Rescue us from death. This is Rahab talking to the two spies. The men said to her, we swear by our own lives to secure yours. If you don't, if you don't reveal our mission, we will deal loyally and faithfully with you when the Lord gives us the land. And one of the things that, uh, that Rahab does, she lays out a red rope 
to bring them up to safety. And she, 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 she disobeys the laws of the land by helping those who are, are, are destined to bring, uh, who are destined to take hold of the land. So she, has, she lays out a red rope for the future to come up into her place of residence. Now, when she lays this red rope out, Rahab was acting in obedience, that, and this obedience opened up her life to the future, thus building a legacy. And again, obedience is not fun to talk about. And as we said before, obedience means to listen and to hear in the old English. Obedience comes from the old English word. It literally means to hear and to listen. It just doesn't mean, it does not mean to just to be a slave per se when you have no will. But obedience means that you have heard something. And obedience means literally to become that which you've heard. Mm. The greatest way to leave a legacy is long obedience in the same direction. Eugene Peterson, the, uh, the one who wrote the, uh, the message translation, he talks about having obedience in the same, long obedience in the same direction. We live in a culture that celebrates 15 minutes of fame. I think it's got down a little bit lower than 15 minutes now. And so, uh, minutes of fame. But we serve a God who honors a lifetime obedience. A lifetime of obedience, I think. 15 minutes of fame, we, gotta, we got to uh, find a way to amend that statement because it ain't 15 minutes no more. It's like as long as your status stay on the feed. Right? You show you did something, it shows up on Twitter, Facebook, on the feed, somebody becomes famous, and as soon as another person comes up, they're gone, they're forgotten about. What you need to know is that the decisions you are making today are shaping your legacy for tomorrow. We have no idea the effects of the obedience of our generation. What we do in life, and I love this, one of my favorite movies is Gladiator. And the, the actor uh, who plays the General Maximus, and his name escapes me right now, but there's a quote before they go into battle. It says, what we do in life echoes in eternity. What we do here has a ripple effect generations beyond our lives. Our lives, our choices are Quite simply, the butterfly effect. A butterfly effect. Has anybody ever heard the butterfly effect in physics? Right, that the 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 the, the butterfly on one part of the world flaps its wings, but on another on the other side of the planet, it may cause a hurricane. Just by it pushing the air a little bit on one side of the Earth, it ends up causing a hurricane or a storm. So the idea is that a small choice or a small effect can affect and cause other things that are greater than the, the thing that started it. Rahab had no way of knowing the effects her obedience would have in the narrative of the entire Bible. Even though she had no way to know the effects, the truth remains she had a choice. And the thing about her being a prostitute, and I don't even know the intricacies of that. I know in our culture right now, and especially in our society, prostitution is illegal. 
right? And even then, there's reasons why people fall into that life. There's not as simple as they're bad people. It's not that simple. A lot of times our culture, especially church culture, we paint that kind of picture that people fall into certain uh, ways of life simply because they're just bad people. They're making bad choices. Now, People do make bad choices, but sometimes people are just marked by something. They've been shifted. They've been shaped. They've been traumatized. They've been hurt. And so, or they just begin to hang around the wrong people. And so one of the things I tell my children all the time is that you're only as good as your friends. This is like the law of gravity. If I pick my phone up and if I was to drop it, which I'm not, Gravity would take over. Same thing with friends. You're only as good as the people you spend the most time with. We have no idea the effects our obedience will have on other people. Rahab had no way of knowing how her obedience would affect people from here on out. She took a step in obedience. 8 through 14, we just read that. In these verses, Rahab went from being viewed as a prostitute to speaking like a prophet. She said, I know that the Lord has given you the land. The second thing to leaving a great legacy is to have trust in the providence of God. And this is difficult for a lot of people for some reason. Trust in the providence of God. Hmm. Providence, the foreseeing care and guidance of God or nature over the creatures of the earth. How many of y'all are thankful for the providence of God? Amen. That God is at work in our lives, that God is work in ways that sometimes is undiscernible, that you can't see, that's not visible, that God is in some way, somehow, actively working in our lives, coming alongside us, giving us encouragement, speaking a word of, or just being present, uh, encouragement by just being present with us and let us know that we are not alone. God's past provision. So So the thing about this is that we should be thankful for God's care and concern and movement in our lives. And here's how we know. We, got, we know that God will because God already has. One of my favorite gospel songs is by Ty Tribbett, and he says, uh, I'm going to mess the song up. I'm always messing songs up, y'all. If he did it before, he'll do it again. Right? Can you remember when God, when, when, you, when you had a moment when it was clearly that God was working in your life, and you knew it without a doubt. You had a certain amount of confidence that God had worked in your life, whatever that might have been, right? It may, not, it may have been more than material comfort. It may have been just something that you needed encouragement. Maybe you were down. In some way, you find yourself inspired. Uh, you may have had moments like that, right? And so that was in the past. So if he did it before, he'll do it again. So this is what I mean by trust in the providence of God. Somebody needs to hear this today. And the evidence he has given us in the past will give us the boldness that we need to walk into the future. 
<coughs> God didn't lead the Israelites to the Red Sea so that they would drown. He didn't lead the Israelites into Jericho to slaughter them. And he hasn't led you where you are today to let you go. So if he's, if he's done it before, God will do it again. And what does that mean? So maybe you are crossing the Red Sea right now. Maybe you are encountering Jericho right now. Maybe you are in a, a place of challenge and a place of, of difficulty. And here's the thing you need to know. So if you trust in the providence of God, then that means that you know that God has done it before, that God will do it again. And this is what he says. God has led you. God is going to lead you through. You don't know what I'm going through, Pastor. You don't know my struggle. I don't. But I've talked to all of you in here at some, at some place. And I know that God has done something at some point in your life. And I'm here to tell you today, I, don't, I may not know your struggle. I may not know the emotional difficulty of it. But one thing I do know, if God has worked in your life at some point in the past, that means that God will do it again. Romans 8.28 says this, We know that God works all things together for good for the ones who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. The imagery there is that of a symphony, right? Now, Christians have twisted this verse a little bit. We've kind of gotten it wrong a little bit, right? Paul does not say that God makes everything happen for our good, right? Like God causes all the bad things to happen. He doesn't say that God causes all all the bad things to happen for our good. Right? We say God had a purpose. Notice what he says. God works with it. (laughs) Uh, I just want to get deep here. Thank you, Spirit. God works with everything that has happened up to this point. God works with your choices that you made up until this point. God works with your failures in your, in your moments of disobedience. God works with your joys and your tri- triumphs in your acts of obedience. God works with it all. And the imagery there is that of a symphony. Has anybody here ever been to a symphony? Amen? There's different parts. There's flute. There's, there's the woodwinds. There's the brass. There's the percussion, right? They all have their part. And so you may have the flute of failure playing in the background. You may have the tuba of disobedience in the background blowing loud. But here's the thing. God uses all of that. So God may use the triumph of the saxophone. Amen. The saxophone, right? Amen. The triumph and the victory of the saxophone playing loudly, playing his part. God uses all that. He creates a symphony. And that's what Paul means. God will use all of that for our good. Maybe Rabbi, maybe Rahab just thought she was going to be known for a good deed. Or maybe she felt like she needed some good deeds to make up for all the dirty deeds. Hmm. But here's the thing. What she didn't know is that she was now building a legacy. This is why uh, we can take 
bold steps in obedience because we can trust in the providence of God. So we see that in a few chapters later, the people of Israel, they come to Jericho. They march around the city walls for six days. And on the seventh day, they march around the city seven times. And then the priests are given the command to blow the trumpets. And the people shouted and the walls came down. I believe that some of you here today, you are not on the sixth lap. You are not on the seventh lap. You are on the second and third lap. I believe that some of you are about to see a victory in your own life, but you're on lap four around your Jericho. Funny story. I remember somebody suggested, not here in this church, we were looking for a building, and somebody suggested to us, uh, to me, they were like, Pastor, I know y'all looking for a building. What you need to do is go find a building somewhere in Salisbury and march around it seven times. And I was like, uh, you do know what happened when they marched around the building. It fell down. We don't want to march around any buildings. But here's the thing, though. So you are marching towards victory. You know what you want to be known for. You know what kind of legacy God is building in your life. And you're heading towards victory or whatever it is that you're dealing with right now. But you are in your fourth lap. You can't sound the trumpet just yet. But guess what? Here's the thing about God. See, God will walk with you through all the laps that you're on. Even if you're on the second lap. Even if you're on the first lap, the second or third or fourth or fifth lap. And God is saying, keep on walking. You keep on walking because guess what? God is providential. God won't let you go in the fourth lap. People will. Uh. People will leave you in the fourth and fifth lap, but God won't. Joshua 6, 22 through 25. Joshua spoke to the two men who had scattered out the land. Go to the prostitute's house. Bring out the woman from there, along with everyone related to her, exactly as you pledged to her. So the young men who had been spies went and brought Rahab out, along with her father, her mother, her brothers, and everyone related to her. They brought her whole clan out and let them stay outside Israel's camp. And they burned the city and everything in it. And that's another whole, amen, that's another whole conversation in there, amen. But they put the silver and gold along with the bronze and the iron equipment into the treasury of the Lord's house. Joshua let, uh, let Rahab the prostitute live, her family and everyone related to her. So her family still lives among Israel today because she did, she hid the spies from Joshua, whom Joshua she hid the spies whom Joshua had sent out to scout out Jericho. We have no clue of the outcome of our obedience. But we can't trust God's providence. We can trust that God is moving with us through all the laps around our own Jerichos. And with all that in mind, it leads me to my last point. And this is what focusing on leaving a legacy will do. It will give us confidence. When you build up a life or have faithful response to God, it gives you a certain kind of confidence. More than 2,000 years ago, 
or I should say, from this scene that we just read from in Joshua chapter 6, it'll be 2,000 years uh, later, we pick up in the very first book of the New Testament. Matthew is walking us through the genealogy of Jesus as we are reading through the genealogy, a familiar name almost leaps off the page. And this is Matthew 1, 1 through 6. I want to read, this is the Matthew, the gospel of Matthew. He is the genealogy of Jesus. A record of the ancestors of Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob had, never mind, y'all don't know about that. I just went over y'all, didn't I? Y'all, Karis one, never mind. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons for real. And these were the children of Israel. Amen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know I got MC skills too. I'll be known for that maybe one day. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Aram. Aram was the father of Amenadab. Amenadab was the father of Nishan. Nishan was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz, who was the mother, whose mother was Rahab. Hmm. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David the king. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been the wife of Uriah. See, knowing this, seeing in the now. So Rahab was just in the now. Rahab just was in the moment when she made the simple choice to bring these spies and to bring a, a rescue and to give aid to the spies of Israel to create a situation where they can live out their own future, their own purpose, and, their, and the promise that God had given them. And so seeing the results of obedience helps me to live in confidence when it comes to focusing on leaving a legacy. But here it is, this woman, this is one of the most powerful things about the genealogy of Jesus as a side note, that in the ancient world, you didn't put questionable characters in the genealogy of great kings. But here it is in the gospel, the king of kings, the lord of lords, the son of God, he has a prostitute in his genealogy. Don't you love Jesus? Says a lot about our God. It says a lot about Jesus. It says a lot about the gospel. It says a lot about God. And so seeing this, living, living in confidence when it comes to focusing on leaving a legacy. Rahab, the same woman who is referred to as a prostitute, shows up in the genealogy of Jesus. Two things, it shows us who God is. And also, too, we have no way of knowing the impact of our own decisions. We have no way of knowing the true impact of the decisions we are making today. A quick story. I remember many moons ago, some of you have met my real close friend of mine, 
one of my best friends, um, Rod, Rod Garvin, he's come to the church here a couple of times with his wife. And um, I'll never forget when I first met Rod, Rod was one of the first people I met uh, when I first moved to North Carolina, when we started the church here in North Carolina many years ago, not Mission House, but the first church I was a part of many years ago. And I remember, and I told this story a hundred times, so those who've heard it, I'm sorry, I apologize in advance. And so I remember um, I was so excited because I had been praying to meet somebody I could bring to church. I was, you know, I was young, I was excited. We started a new church, and you want people to come to your church. And so I was grabbing whoever I could find to bring to church with me. And so uh, I remember uh, when I met up with him, we worked in the same place. Uh, we were working for the Census Bureau. And so I remember I had begun to pray. I said, God, give me somebody I can invite to church. And Rod came to the door. And, and the Lord spoke to me and said, that's him. I want you to spend time with this young man here. I said, okay, Lord. And this shows you the providence of God. So now there's hundreds of people in this open office space, right? The lady brings him all the way up across the room and sat him, sat him right next to me. After the Lord had just spoke that to me, right? And so I'm thinking, okay, yeah, this is going to be, man, all right. So when we go on our lunch break, I'm going to ask him, hey, man, why don't you come to church for me? So i never forget, we went to lunch break. I was kind of mentoring him in the new position. So I'm thinking, okay, I got the upper hand a little bit. You know, I got a little power, so, you know, maybe he'll come to church. You know, may feel obligated to come to church with me or something like that. And so I remember we sit in the break room, and I was like, hey, man, uh, Rod, uh, why don't you come to church with me on Sunday? He was like, for what? Uh, to worship God. I don't believe in God. And I was like, and so I remember walking away from that thinking, Lord, you told me to invite him to church. And, and he says, keep at it. Keep staying with them. So notice the choices I'm making here. The first choice was to obey the word of the Lord. The Spirit's prompting. I obeyed. And we began a friendship. Eventually, Rod came to faith, right? He came to follow Christ. He became a part of our church then. And it was funny, this week, he gave me a call. This is years later now. He gave me a call uh, this past week. And he's like, man, I got something exciting to tell you. I was like, what's up? He said, I'm teaching a course at Hood Theological Seminary. You have no idea the true impact of your decisions. You have no idea the true impact of the choices you make here and now. We have no idea what will happen when we obey the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. That blew me away. I teared up a little bit when he said that. I was like, wow. He's going to be training clergy from all over the country. He's going to be training preachers of the gospel, theologians and scholars and activists from all over this country. We have no idea the impact that our decisions make in the lives of people. So the rope, I guess what I'm trying to say is that we just look at a snapshot of our lives. We may feel like our life is over or we're stuck in a certain place that our chance to leave a great legacy is passed on, but that's a lie. Not when you're dealing with God. 
But I won't. But what I want you to hear me say is while we see that our lives, when we step back and we see a little bit of our lives, uh, God sees the whole rope. And so we may see from zero to 55 or zero to up until our teenage years or the young people. You may just see your life when you was a baby. Well, you, you probably don't remember when you was a baby, but you get the picture. So you know that you were little and you're up to here where you're at now. We only see a little bit of our lives, but see, God sees the whole shebang. God sees all the possible choices that you're going to make simultaneously. God even sees beyond the rope. God sees all the people when you decide to listen to the Spirit's voice and, you, and your life becomes over time a faithful response to God. God begins to see even the lies beyond the rope of your own life. There's other ropes that this rope is going to impact. Based upon the choices you make here in this life, there are other ropes, other lives, other time frames you're going to impact in other people's lives. There are generations that aren't even here yet. But because of the people that you influence, the people that you impact, it was going to impact generations that are not even here yet. For the younger crowd in here today, that maybe you are so focused in on the mistakes you have made, I want you to hear me say, it's not too far. It's never too far with God. Yeah, you may have made some bad choices. But when you're dealing with the God of Jesus Christ, you are dealing with the God who has said to you, it is never too far for redemption. It is never too far to redeem the story. And for a more seasoned crowd in here today, maybe you will say, you will hear me say, it is not too late. Amen. Do this. You got breath, right? Guess what? It's not too late. If God can use a prostitute and place her in the genealogy of Jesus, I am more than certain that God can use you. I know that God can use anybody. So if a prostitute who had done God who had done God only knows what, what can leak, that can leave an incredible legacy with her life, I am more than confident that you can too. I think about my own life. If God can use somebody who didn't even believe that God even existed to impact other lives with the gospel, God can use you too. Church, what if we took a few minutes today, today, just, just today, I don't know a week-long kind of homework today, but just today, I want you to zoom out on your life. I want you to step back. I want you to think about your life. What if we, for a few minutes, tried to see from a greater perspective? Today, I want you to step back on a canvas on the canvas of your own life. I want you to step back today. I want you to create today at some point, or you can just think it through in your, in your mind. Think about your own chronology. You think about those major points of decisions in your own life. And I want you to step back and try to imagine the larger campus. We try to understand that while we don't see the whole rope, God does, and God has a huge purpose for us. If God can use a prostitute to end up in the genealogy of the Son of God, I have a sneaky suspicion that God can use you too.
Amen. So as a sign of legacy today, today I want you to create your own rope. And what I want you to do I was going to do a right-handed cut. This is what I want you to do. I want you to remind yourself today of the legacy of, of that be built upon the choices that you make today and for the rest of your life. I want you to make a rope. I want you to wear it for the next day or two or this week if you have, you know, you probably won't take it off. we take a shower, you know, because it might melt or something. I don't know, you know. Well, I, well it, I, got the, I got the good yarn. I was in Walmart, so it was like the yarn that cost $10, so I guess it's quality yarn. <coughs> I know, I know. But as you wear this today, I want you to zoom out on your life. I want you to think about the choices you made. I want you to step back on the canvas of your life. I want this to symbolize your promise to do that this week as a spiritual discipline. When you think about the choices that you make. So even this week when you are at work or at school or out, out in the community doing things, if you have this on you and you about to do, make a choice that can negatively impact somebody, you look at it and say, oh, yeah, okay, I'm not going to do that. Amen? All right, so um, we can just form a line. Come up here and get your, get your string. Come on up here, everybody. Come get your string. Amen? Here you go, sir. All right. Here you go. Oh, see, when it comes to you, why is it stopping? Hold on. Mm -hmm. Oh. Oh, okay. Come on. Okay. So if you got to sh shorten it, whatever, that's fine. Do what you got to do. Here you go, sir. Sir, there you go. All right, there we go. There we go. There you go. What's up, pay? There you go. All right, Mr. Tony. Ash, amen. Mother Brenda, there you go. There you go, Miss Emily. Go ahead, Terry, get you an extra walk, though. No. <laughs>
Yeah, you just have the whole. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, brother George. Good to see you, man. <clears throat> Amen. If you got to shorten it later, that's fine. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, we lift up the body of Christ to you. God, we lift up Mission House to you. God, we know that you called us to step in obedience. God, you called us to live into confidence. And even not even knowing the true impact of the decisions that we make from here on out. But God, make us a people, oh God, who co-labor with you to build a great legacy, oh God. A life of obedience, a life of faithfulness to your Holy Spirit. May we become people of your Spirit, God. Cultivate in us, God, a heart for obedience to follow you, Lord. And God, as we wear these red bands this week or necklaces or whatever people do with them and wear them on their bodies. Let it be a sign and remembrance, oh God, that you called us to build legacies of obedience in our community, in our families, in our lives amongst our friends. God, we thank you for the grace of God. Lord, we thank you for sending Jesus into this world, God. God, we thank you for the testimony of Rahab. We thank you for this sister, oh God, who chose to obey the, the reputation of who you are, God, and to, to make a way of refuge for your people, O oh God, that will give way, O oh God, to the Savior of the world. God, we pray, O oh God, that we have a testimony like Rahab, God, even where our lives will come up to a certain point. And God, we don't even know what led her to the place where she was. We don't even understand, God, why she became who she was. But God, what we do know that, God, you gave her a new story, that you gave her a new chapter. Oh, God, you gave her opportunity to make different choices. God, may we be like Rahab today to make new choices, to build legacy, and to be confident in you, God, moving in our lives. To these things we pray in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Go forth this week. Go forth this week building a legacy. Go forth in this week, stepping back and looking at your whole life. Think about all the choices that led you to this place that you're at right now. And remember that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and of Jesus gives you the power to make new choices, to create a new story. Build legacy this week. Make holy choices. Amen.